Let's open our Bibles to the book of John. John. And we are going to, we're going to, our study today is going to come from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And this is the first of a series of sermons that will be preached in this time uh, on the miracles of Jesus. And I hope that, um, that you uh, spend some time in, in the book of John reading through those seven uh, signs of miracles that, that John brings to us. Uh, and today I get the opportunity to kick off this series. And, um, and I do pray, and I've been praying that the Lord will make our time together productive. Amen? One of the things that uh, when I get to teach or study for myself, uh, I like to know the context of a story. Uh, what's happening in the passage that I'm studying? And that's why uh, I'm a strong believer about studying Scripture kind of in order from the beginning of a book. And let's run all the way through the end and see what the Word of God has to say to us. Uh, so for me, series uh, such as this ones are a little bit of a challenge. Uh, but I'm glad that I got the very beginning, so I don't have to read, like, you know, have you read chapter 1 through chapter 17, if I had the last one. Uh, good thing they were in chapter 2, but we are going to read, I'm going to read uh, chapter 1, a few verses from there, because I believe that John has a very specific, very intentional uh, uh, job for this particular story in his gospel. One of the things that we need to understand is that the Bible is, is really meant to be studied by sitting down and having this intimate conversation with a living God. Uh, very few of us, uh, with a good friend, do if we ever sit down and say, oh, sorry, uh, we already spent five minutes. It's all I got for you. We'll see you next week. Right? When we have a really good friend, we can sit there, and if the conversation is really good, uh, we can be there until very late or very early hours in the morning. Because we enjoy the company. And uh, I think one of the, uh, the challenges we have as a church today is that our attention span is very short. Uh, we're so used to YouTube videos, right? I work in, my full-time job is in videos, so I always, when people come and say, I want a video done, I say, that's great. He said, just, you know, I ask how long you want the video. Just short 10 minutes. I always like, that's too long. Most people don't want to watch that long. 30 seconds, Right? And uh, unfortunately, we apply that to our Bible study, and uh, we miss so much of the wisdom of the living God. Uh, I'm not going to make you read a whole book of John, even though that will be fun. Uh, but I do want to read the first chapter because I think it sets the mood. It sets the direction for what John is trying to do by telling us about these miracles. Uh, what he actually, he doesn't call miracles, he calls signs. And it's, it's very interesting to see the language that John uses when he introduces uh, the ministry of Jesus. So I'm going to start with chapter 1. I'm re reading from the ESV. Uh, and I'm only going to read uh, verses 1 through 14. But pay attention. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. Just listen. Okay? In the beginning was a word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light 
shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he, has, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I believe that this verses give us the anchor point, the thesis statement, the foundation upon which we interpret all of the book of John. He tells us what he's trying to tell us. That Jesus, the word logos, was not just a chosen one or the first or the sons of God like some uh, religions want to teach us today. But he is God. He was there from the beginning. He's going to tell us, John is going to tell us what he knows about the living, creating God who not only created this world, but came into the world he created. And yet, while in the world, the world did not understand him, did not believe him, did not receive him. And the point of John, he says, I'm writing this because I want you to believe. I want you to believe. And the word became flesh and dwell among us. And this is important. And we've seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the Father. So throughout, it's, it's not, it's not, it should not surprise us that as we read through the book of John, we begin to see words that appear again as the glory of God. Or the son of the Father. And I want you to keep that in mind as you, as you understand what we're going to read about Jesus and the miracle in the wedding of Canaan. Because it's important, and we will come back and tie it back to here. So if I were to give you advice as you study your Bible, start from the beginning. <laughs> You'll get to that passage you want to read, but it's going to help you avoid misinterpretations, misapplications, and actually it's going to give you a, a glorious view of who God is. Whether you read in the Old Testament, the Gospels, or the New Testament, or even apocalyptic literature as the book of Daniel and the book of uh, Revelation. Now let's go, let's back to our text, shall we? Otherwise, I'm going to get in trouble. Chapter 2, all right, verse 1. So to this point, John has said, explain, has explained to his audience that there was another John. Now there's two Johns, right? It's kind of confusing. The, the writer, uh, as we call the, uh, the gospel writer, and then is the witness, which is who we've known as John the Baptist. 
right? And he begins, he, John does not begin with the birth of Christ, but he begins with the ministry of Jesus and the pre-runner, who is John the Baptist, and prepared the way of the Lord. So here we see John giving witness about Jesus, and even some of the disciples that John had, John the Baptist, starts following Jesus because John the Baptist did a good job of saying he is the one. He came, even though I'm here before him, he was before me. And pointed into the eternity nature of Christ. Okay? He has always been God. He did not become God. He was not a chosen one. He was God. He is God today. Another thing you need to know about, about John is that he is very much into time. Right? It's very clear that Jesus has a mission and a purpose throughout the book of John. And his purpose is to do the will of the Father, as he says in chapter 6. But we'll get to that in a second. So he says, he opens up the, path, uh, the story in chapter 2. says, on the third day. On the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, at this time he already established his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother Jesus said to him, they had no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there's so much already in that passage. First of all, people have got stuck on the third day. Third day from where? Right? Is it the third day of the week? Is it the third day from the beginning of chapter 1? I mean, he began with creation, so it cannot be the third day from creation. Is it the third day from the events of him being with uh, the river by when John the Baptist was baptizing or when disciples of Jesus were baptizing? From where? And the point is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't matter from the third day. Some people have given it more meaning, some... And Anna said they're wrong and said, well, the third day is very important for the Christian religion, right? And the third day he rose again. He couldn't mean that. But John doesn't tell us. We can ask him when we get there. Maybe he'll have a Bible study about his book. I don't know. <laughs> but the point is that we don't know. And so for our purposes, he really, the only thing that matters is that there's certain order, he says, on the third day. You know? There's events happening, and in this particular third day, where, uh, like as, as I mentioned before, you can start counting. It really doesn't change the story. But the, the important thing is that there's a wedding. Now, these are weddings. I'm not talking about like our weddings where if the, if the cer uh, ceremony goes for beyond 45 minutes, we, you know, people at the altar start passing out. <laughs> you know, these are weddings that last seven days. I mean, these were weddings, right? Seven days, 14 days, you talk about it, and a, it was a party. It was on the whole neighborhood was, the whole town was invited, well, the family in the town. And in this particular case, Mary, he doesn't pay attention. John doesn't mention her name throughout the book. He mentions her as the mother of Jesus or his mother. He said, so he said the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited. So this probably were a family involved, you know, family uh, event. And they're there, and they have this uh, crisis that comes on board, and, and they ran out of wine, right? And every youth group uses this, love this passage to argue we should have wine in church, right? They're, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus had wine. That should be biblical. 
Well, that's a discussion for another day, but the point is that they're running out of a very important element of the celebration. It will be like, like running out of hot dogs and, and hamburgers during our Moody Fest at the park. That will be a major crisis, right? Pastor Perry will be in a lot of troubles if we didn't have all that food available, right? So this is a big deal. Why is Mary involved? We don't know. Maybe because she, was an, she had a particular role in the wedding, but she comes to Jesus, and tells Jesus, he doesn't say what, tell him what to do, but he says, ah, <clears throat> we have a problem. There's no more wine. Now, the next verse, words are, gonna, are difficult for our culture. Okay? And there have been many attempts to smooth it out. Translations have tried, you know, adding dear woman, you know. But here, it depends on how you read it, right? Say, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, you can put a little bit of an attitude behind it. It's like trying to read text, right? You ever tried to read a text and try to interpret what they're saying? Are they mad at me? You know, is that rude? So they put it all in capitals, and you're like, okay, you're in trouble. If I get a text from home, like no capitals, I know that it's, there's a strong voice behind it. But here we don't know, except that we can go back and look at the culture and say, you know, it was not a disrespectful thing at all. Actually, we can trust in the character of Christ to know that he's, he's a righteous man because he's God. And to know that he was not going to be disrespectful to his, his mother. So even though in the church sometimes they have trouble interpreting this, rest that easy. Jesus is not being disrespectful, disrespectful to his mother. I think what he's doing is creating some separation from his mother. Because in this culture, you know, even though... Uh, it's, it's a very man-dominated culture in the times of Jesus. You know, the men had all the authority. Women had, uh, the authority was more in private. They probably would have had their authority in the home. And, of course, like any mother, uh, Mary would have had some authority over Jesus to tell her, to tell him, hey, I need you to take out the trash. Or, I don't know, just give her, influence him. And at this point, they're in a public place. And I don't think Mary's trying to, I don't know why I can read, but I don't think she's trying to exercise authority other than say, in privately say, we have a stake on this. It's about to be a very embarrassing moment. We have no wine. And at that point, Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? And Jesus is appealing to himself now in presence of his disciples to his ministry. What does this have to do with what I'm called to do? See? We try so many times to put, to influence the authority of Jesus even today. We try to attach Christianity and Jesus to many things that have nothing to do with him. And when we try to do that, it's like, what does that worldly thing have to do with Christ and his name? It has nothing to do with that. What does wine has in a wedding has to do with the ministry that Jesus has been called to do on earth? Nothing. And I think Jesus is saying, let me separate myself from here. And that's the first point of my sermon. That, that Jesus is saying, my authority comes from the Father. I follow the, the Father's authority. Actually, he's going to say it again in chapter 6, verse 38, where people are saying, give us that bread that you're talking about. Jesus is talking about the bread of life and and, you know, a brother, you'll never go hungry again. And people say, start giving us. I say, why would I give you something you don't understand? You don't believe in me. 
I only do, I don't do what you want me to do. I do what the Father sent me to do because the authority that has been given to me is from the Father to do the Father's will. I only do the Father's will. And even though here he doesn't mention that, I think that's what he's giving hints to. They said, Mother, this has nothing to do with, my, with what I'm called to do in this earth. What does that have to do with me? And the hint is on the next hour, it's, it's on the next verse because he says that is, my hour has not yet come. And that talks about doing things in the timing of the Father. The timing according to God the Father. And we will see that time is important for John because he mentions here, my time has not yet come. What is he referring to? Well, we know because we read the end of John, right? We have Easter before. Where later in chapter 17, he's going to be praying for his disciple. And Jesus clearly said, my hour has come. So John is, is bookending, is creating like a bookend to the story. He said, here the bare beginning of the ministry is just the beginning. Where Jesus has a clear understanding that he does the, he's under the authority of the Father to do what the Father told him to do. And it's going to be done according to the timing of the Father. And only according to his timing. Now, there where the story could have ended, but it doesn't, doesn't end there. Because Jesus is full of grace, full of truth, as we read in, in chapter 1, verse 14. He is a gracious God, loving God. Mary does something that I think is, is a sign of surrender, a sign of acknowledging it says, she turns to the servant and said, whatever he says, just do it. Whatever he says, just do it. He knows better. You want to do what he says. And it's, it's, it's it kind of Mary saying, I'm stepping out of this one. I'm stepping out of the picture. It's all about whatever God called him to do according to the timing of his father. Did, Jesus, did Mary understand the origin of Jesus? Better than anybody else. Better than anybody else. My hour has not yet come. His mother says, do whatever he tells you. And that's the thing that the miracles, when, we, when you think about miracles, everybody thinks something outside the extraordinary usually is God, God interfering into what he created to meet the needs of people. To show his glory in the midst of the biggest needs of people. Now here is Mary and the family about to face some horrible social shame. Everybody, everybody was going to talk about it. Remember that wedding when they ran out of wine? Remember that one time? And that was going to be shame. Yet Jesus steps in and he gives order. And this is really kind of neat. Verse 6. Now, there were six stone water jars where the Jewish rites, for the Jewish rites of purification, each hold, you know, something around 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim and said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So Jesus turns around and he I found it interesting that he picks six stone jars. These were big stone uh, 
water containers that would have been carved out of solid rock. They could not have been made out of clay uh, or stoneware because they would not be considered pure enough. Levitical law said that they, had to be, they, they were made for the purification. As people were reminding, every time they came to, to worship God or cleaning themselves, they had to wash themselves to remind that they came in as sinful, dirty people before the presence of a holy, pure God. So it was a ritual, and they have made this stone, this uh, jars of stone. You can actually go on Google and do a quick search, and you'll find some pictures that they say, "Oh, we found some, just like Canaan. This was the one that Jesus used." And they had actually put in museums and some ch- chapels, and they have, you know, I, I don't want to uh, assume, but they probably worship some of them. Probably come and touch it and pray, maybe for good luck, and maybe God will do a miracle and. I would always have wine on my table. I don't know. But they have, there's these big stones that people have found. And, and here's the, the, the cautionary tale is, do not worship the tool. Worship the source of the, the, the power. That was just a tool. There were things that were right there. But Jesus turns to this ritual, six of them. Did the six have anything to, to mean? I'm not sure. Could it be the imperfection? Right? Six is an imperfect number according to numerology. But what I know it is it was used as a Jewish ritual. And he takes this, which was meant to just physically cleanse yourself, which you're going to get dirty again. And he says, fill those with water. And it's filled. And when they take it, he said, take now from there and take it to the head waiter. And when he take it, takes it to the head waiter, what do they find? The best wine ever. I'm not talking about $2.95 wine, okay? I'm not talking about like instant wine made out of whatever. I don't know if there's such thing. I don't know anything about wine, so don't ask me. I'm talking about the Bible says that the guy said, you know, he went to the, to the groom. He probably, I don't know if he was intimate with the family or not, but he knew the groom and said, man, most people wait until everybody's drunk to take out you know, and they bring the worst. They put the best at the beginning. But you did it backwards. You got it wrong. You brought the best thing at the end. And he had no clue where the wine came from. No clue that we're about to have the biggest shameful event in their lives. That they just evaded because Jesus was there. Now, I don't know if you re- what does this remind you. This is my sanctified imagination, okay? So I'm... I'm telling you what he was. I was studying this, what he jumped on me. Jesus took these six jars of ritual, human ritual. There was just a reminder that we're sinful people, but he did nothing to cleanse the outside, just to barely cleanse the outside. And he turned it into wine, which even though John does not mention the cup in his gospel, he mentions the washing of the feet, right? But in the other, other Gospels, we find where Jesus says, he takes the wine and he says, this wine represents the blood of my covenant. The one thing that will take to truly cleanse people from inside and cleanse their sins. And we, and I don't know, but when I think about all, all the things we do, that we... We think we're contributing to our experience with God and to a holiness with God. And actually all they do it is doing exterior cleaning, but eventually it's kind of dirty. Yet Jesus takes that and says, I'm going to take what you are kind of 
because for the Jewish people, it was very important. This was major things to be cleansed. They took it seriously. They said, I'm going to take that and I'm going to do one better. I'm going to fully tell you how I'm going to come in and take what, all those rituals that do nothing and I'm going to bring to you a new covenant that will bring you eternal life. Now I'm telling you, this is my sanctified imagination because John doesn't say that. And I don't think that's a point particularly of that miracle because the point is, comes right after this. But I think it's, it's very significant. Nobody knew where it came, right? Verse 10, uh, verse 11, uh, sorry, verse 10. Everyone serves the good first, wine first, and then the people are drunk freely. They bring the, the poor, the, the cheap wine. And nobody knew where the wine came except for his disciples. And in verse 11, this the first sign of his signs, Jesus did in Canaan in Galilee, manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. I think that was the point of the story. I think that's the point of the story. Jesus did not do a miracle to, to wow those that, to entertain the guests. Jesus did not do a miracle because his mother told him to do it. He saw his, Jesus did the miracle because he, wanted, he showed, wanted to show his glory to his new disciples who had believed in what he said, but now they got to see what he could do. And the, the Bible says that he, this is a sign. A sign is more than a miracle because a sign points to the, a reality He's not just manipulating the, the natural elements and taking water and, and creating a fermented wine, but he's, he's talking about the power of God influenced that moment to change the life of a family through that. So it's more than a miracle. It's a sign, and it's more than just power. While other gospels talk about the power of God, we, we read, right? Jesus is walking, and he feels the power leave from him. And a woman is healed. John doesn't say power. He says glory of God. Glory. It's an epiphany. A manifestation of God before men. Now think about that. When we want to see, give me evidence that that's a true God and God has given, we say, well, look at all creation. But when you really want to see the glory of God, you look at how God has worked in the life of people that you knew that they should not have been part of the kingdom, but yet God transformed them from the darkness and brought them into light. And you say, wow, who did that? God did that. God did that. Because God wants... He wants us to experience grace, and he wants to show his glory in our lives. And he used his glory to show, I'm not just any teacher. I'm not just any rival. I'm not a John the Baptist. I'm God. I am the word that has become flesh, and I have dwelt among you, and you, have, you will see my glory. And you have seen my glory. And generations will see my glory. 
Because I don't come on my own will, I come on the will of the Father. So how does that look for us today? How does the glory of God manifest in our lives today? You know that Jesus still meets us in our, in our time of need. You know that, that the hour of Jesus already came, right? The, of his mission when he came to live on earth and he had that ministry for three years and then he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins and he made a new covenant in his blood which we celebrate the first Sunday of every month here at Moody and said, this is the cup, this is the, this fruit of the, of the vine, this grape juice represents the blood of Christ who does not just cleanse the outside but cleans the inside. And it's a covenant, a promise that he will bring us to life. And if you see chapter 17, I love that passage. Because this is a conclusion, this is towards the end. And, and Jesus is... He's praying, and when Jesus, it says this, when Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. If anything else, I love, I love the intentionality of John to tell us, listen, God loved you so much, John 3.16, right? That he gave his only beloved son. That's the biggest miracle. But yet, he loves us enough to show his glory in our lives. I want to show you a picture. I got a chance to travel to Mexico. I haven't been back to Mexico City in 20 years. This is my grandmother. She's 91 years old. And that's the little ranch where she still live. You know, my, my sons loved it. There was no Wi-Fi. They, they, my son is said. All there was was chicken and dogs running everywhere, you know. <laughs> no air conditioning. One big room. Spiders and scorpions everywhere. Fun, fun. But this is my grandmother. And we were there on, on, on a Sunday. And we got together. Uh, several of the cousins and family got together. And, and we sat there. And I shared the gospel. Uh, and... Um, she said this, she said, when, I, when my husband abandoned me with my four little kids, we had nothing, nothing. We had no food. People gave me rags to make diapers for my kids. But we trusted God. And he showed himself, his glory. He showed that he loved me. I trust him. All I said is, here I am, God. I have nothing else. Here I am. I need you. I'm in a time of crisis and shame. Her husband left her because she became a believer. Five generations in that picture. All of them have heard the gospel. Not all of them are walking with the Lord. Professions all over the place. There's even a gang, ex-gangster in there. I won't tell you who it is. <laughs> Five generations. And I look at that. 
and I, and I look at my own family and I say, you know, my father became a believer because of his mother. I became a believer because of my father. My son became a believer because, because I shared the gospel with him, him his, my wife and I. And I said, that's the glory of God. That's the glory of God. That's eternal life right there that we get to know the living God in five generations where it could have ended with her. And it's going to keep going. And the glory of God will expand from generation to generation, saying, this is what God is doing. He's turning you, little simple water into living covenants. How is the glory of God living in your life? Are you letting it shine? Are you still trying to figure out a solution? Are you doing... The best thing you can do is like Mary, come to him and say, Lord, I have this problem. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll get out of the picture. You do whatever you want because you're the living God. It's time to let the glory of God shine in you. It's time. Don't you think? Chicago needs it. Our neighborhood needs it. Our church needs it. I want to see the glory of God manifested in all our lives. And it begins with bringing our most deep needs. It doesn't matter how dark, shameful you think it is. Let him, and he will show you his glory. As the glory of the Father through the Son, the one that created all things, including yourself. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are, I'm so grateful for this time you've given us. So grateful for John and his intentionality and his craftsmanship on writing this story, Lord. I thank you because you uh, have manifested the glory of, of your Father through you. And you want to do that in our lives. To give us eternal life, eternal life that we know you, the living Father. Oh, Jesus, will you please come into our lives through your Holy Spirit. Will you let us see what you want us to see? Will you let us bring to us the things that we need? Will you allow us, Lord, to reflect your glory? We will do it your way. Whatever you tell us to do, Lord. Holy Spirit, help us to be obedient. And Lord, thank you for showing us your power. It's in the blessed name of Jesus, the one creator, our true Savior, and Lord, that we pray. Amen.